Welcome to the One Inch Barrier. I am your host, Juan Carlos Ohano. I hope you're all staying safe and staying healthy and staying at home. For today, we are going to talk about the film that won Best Foreign Language Film at the 84th Academy Awards. That film is A Separation, or in its original title, Jorei Nader Al-Simin, or The Separation of Nader and Simin, written and directed by Ashgar Fahadi. So this was Iran's first win and second nomination. So A Separation is about a middle-class couple on the verge of a divorce. So when Simin leaves Nader, Nader hires Razia to take care of his father with Alzheimer's disease. So after a series of misunderstandings, Nader fires Razia. And then she then experiences miscarriage, which she initially blames on Nader, which infuriar- infuriates her husband, Hojat. So they now go to court where they try to pin down who is actually the one to blame for the series of unfortunate events that have happened to them. So that's a very quick summary of a separation. So our guest for this episode is from the United States. He's a writer in various places. I am just astounded by the, the number of places where he's written. Um, and then he's also a member of the Gay and Lesbian Entertainment Critics Association and the Online Film and Television Association. And he is the host of the Oscar Revisionist. So please welcome Mr. Matthew St. Clair. Hi. Hey. Thank you for coming by and saying yes to this episode. Oh, thanks for having me. So I am so happy to have you in this episode. And can you tell our listeners where can they find you and your work? Well, I am well, I am on Twitter at filmguy 619 And even though I'm a writer at various places, I am a, primarily a contributor on Cinema Centuries and Award Circuit, with my work occasionally being found in places like Slash Film and Awards Watch. And you should follow my podcast called the Oscar Revisionist Podcast, which which had its first episode about last week, where I get to me and I guess that got to discuss the snubbery of hustlers to the, or to the uh, lack of Oscar nominations for Hustlers, which is a really fun podcast, which is a really fun premiere episode and my, my, with my next episode airing sometime next week. So be sure to be on the lookout for it. Yes, be sure to check that one out. Um, in as much as I love the Oscars, we love the Oscars, they really tend to forget a lot of great films. So be sure to check that episode, uh, that, that podcast. So yeah, I think we can now like, this is like a tough film to like to sure, yeah. to like go through. So let's just go big. Um, w- this film, a separation. What do you think of it? Wow. <laughs> I know. Actually, this, I actually wa- watched it last night, and it was the first time I watched it in its entirety. Well, this is a. I mean, this as soon as I saw it, it immediately was my pick for best film of twenty eleven. Just. Because it was such a visceral gut punch, and it and it, it is a film that one of those movies I feel like seems like it's not about much. Like it, it seems like it's about such a big old divorce, but it's also but it's also a dissection on a dissection of class, toxic masculinity, and of course marriage and how it how it not only affects the not only affects the parties involved, but also the children, because we get to see how it how it affects how the the marriage between uh, Payman Madi and Leila Tommy affects uh, how 
how the marriage of their characters affects the their daughter. So it's 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 just such a ah, uh, it's just so multifaceted. Uh, so uh, I'm I'm I I am at a loss at a loss of words at how amazing this film is. Yep, definitely. I would um, go back to like maybe two thousand thirteen, I think, or two thousand fourteen. Um, a separation was one of the last films because I'm so delayed in my film years. Like, I wrapped up two thousand ten in two thousand twelve, so <laughs> kind of goes that way. I wrapped up two thousand fourteen in two thousand seventeen, so. Um, the Separation is one of the last films I've watched for 2011, and I thought I had a pretty solid, like, top 10 for that year. And then when I watched A Separation, just, like, boosted up to, like, number one. And so it, 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 it's written in my blog when I, when, when I was younger, and it, it's still <laughs> published, that it it is my number one of 2011. Multifaceted is the word that... Um, I would also use for this film. I this is just such a meticulous and complex exploration of, uh, I guess, Iranian society. Well, I've never been to Iran, so I would know what I would not know what Iranian society is. But I think it's just like such um, a detailed uh, deep dive into what's going on in this hyper specific story of a separation, the titular separation. Um, uh, my notes <laughs> when I when I rewatched it like this Wednesday, uh, my notes are not as many, but the words are big, like words like gender and class and faith and legal system. Like, oh my gosh! Yeah, faith. I it's another one. I that one I forgot to mention. It's also a meditation on faith and religion. Yeah, definitely, and I think it's reflective of how faith is really a prominent um, I'm losing words as well <laughs> prominent thing in Iranian society because I think in the 1970s there was pretty much a separation of church and state and then Iran shifted into a more like integrated religion and in government and it's reflective in their laws so we see lives of these characters where religion and faith in general is just everywhere um, it is definitely in their daily lives, um, and their in the choices that they make in their lives. It's in their language, when they use words like la 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 la. Um, when they use words like um, sin is such a f sin is used in this film a lot of times. So definitely the film, the characters in this film, like has a very strong. They put they give such importance to morality and faith and it really pushes the decisions of these characters forward i think we i can owe it a lot to the film's screenplay which was oscar nominated on how meaty and juicy this film is yeah it should have won yes <laughs> yes it should have won i mean looking at that category uh yikes um you have the artist midnight in paris margin call and bridesmaids um, maybe bridesmaids, but no, I think this either. Is, yeah, yeah. Either I mean, if I mean, I do. I I am. There are days, I'm usually partial to the screenplay of bridesmaids, but after 
finally seeing a separation, I'm just like, yeah, this, I think a separation should have, should have easily won. Yeah, these, those two films have uh, a lot of strengths. Um, Bridesmaids really is comedic gold in all of the sense. It just gets richer and funnier as I rewatch it. That's not something that uh, happens to me with comedies sometimes. Um, but a separation is just like it's a writer's dream in a sense that it's so complex, but yet, you know, it's it's not the complexity of the screenplay. I must I might I must say, is not to intimidate the audience because sometimes you encounter these films that are like intentionally puzzle like, which really um, makes you question like, do I understand everything? But with yeah. in case of a separation, it just comes together in a flawless way but there's a lot of issues but it's not just an issues film there's a lot of character work and the relationship dynamics here are terrific uh, terrifically written um yeah 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 definitely yeah and i think these characters i think what i love about the film is that it embraces these characters that are all flawed and doesn't really pass judgment to these characters. I mean, what do you think of how this film handled the characters that it had? It, it has rich, <laughs> rich characters. Well, I do admire how it doesn't, uh, how even though these, char- these characters have their flaws, it doesn't go out of its way to demonize them, especially the male, the male characters, like a Payman Maddie's character. Like he's, he is a great asshole, but he's still, but he's still packed with vulnerability. Like he's like at, at the end of his rope, but he's still trying to hold his family together. And uh, and also Shaheb Hosseini, uh, Shaheb Hosseini, he is someone who is a bit of bit of a hothead, but he's a bit of a hot, he's a bit of a hothead, but he's still again trying to hold his house and his marriage together because because that odds just because he's someone who just keeps getting hit by life's punches. Because he's unemployed, he's on medication, and and also because of the miscarriage. He's, I mean, it, he's a, again, he's another one because of how volatile he is. It can be easy to write him off as and as unlike as unlikable, but he's still there's still plenty of, but it's still tremendous, but it's still a balancing act that Shahid Hosseini I think does showcases amazingly well. He's so good. Yes, and I, I, and I especially loved the Sarah Dayat. Yes, yes. Who is just such an, who is just such a, who is such a source of openness, purity. She's just so, and it's, which is unlike, and so she's someone who just, uh, how do I say this? That she's such a source of openness. Like she doesn't even, she just doesn't, doesn't uh, try to. They put on a face or anything. She's just someone who's trying to trying to forge her way through each passing day without 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 being no without any without any struggle. And uh, it's it's hard it's hard for me to describe how articulate her performance is. Yes, and while you were discussing it, I I just like I came into tears. I'm just like I remember how devastating her character is i think she is in a lot of ways uh 
probably the most vulnerable here. Like maybe you could make a case for the kids, but in the same way she's pregnant and she had a miscarriage and she needs to take control of, you know, while, while she's suffering from the physical pain and emotional pain of, of losing her child, she also has through like muscle her way through um, handling her husband who has mental health issues and financial issues. So in, in, in a way, she is kind of pulling herself together, but at the same time, she carries a lot of emotional baggage. Um, and with Shahab Hussaini, you mentioned something a while ago about toxic masculinity. Uh, when I was when I was writing notes for this um, this episode, uh, I was I I immediately uh, veered my attention towards the women in the story. But then your mention of toxic masculinity, masculinity, it made me realize like how much of this society really puts pressure on men, and. And when you watch this film, it's the men that are pitted against each other. Not really the women, I must say. I mean, I think the women are doing the behind the back doors work of reconciling things. But yeah, it is really a very strong demonstration of how a society that is such a stickler for gender roles. Yeah, like like how men must always be the alpha male, the protector, the the protector never they must never show him they must be cut off and never show any soft emotion yeah and like they're they should always be the one to deal with things um you know i mean uh, like ask permission to the husband or things like that handle the finances um and i think this is i don't think this is uh coincidental that the father of the dare has Alzheimer's. So there is like, um, I would say like, you know, um, the father has Alzheimer's, Nader and Hojat are really struggling to keep themselves together. I think this is a demonstration of how the patriarchy really results into crumbling to people, crumbling to pieces. And it's just devastating to see how, you know, they're putting, they're trying to put blame on each other and yet, we kind of understand all of their perspectives, which is like a harder thing to watch. I, I, and then I would say that the film really has a very natural escalation in terms of plot points and like ra- raising the stakes like every single time. And it all pays off in the end. There's no like big twist at the end, but yet it all comes together beautifully. Yeah, what do you think of the film's like pacing and... Uh, it's tension building. Well, I think it was very. I think it was at a, it was at the right pace. It definitely, uh, even though it was even though it was two hours, it didn't feel as long as it was. And also the, when it comes to the tension, I think it's, I think the tension is well orchestrated thanks to the cinematography, that always knows when to cut away. I mean the I mean the I mean the scene where, the scene where. Razier gets thrown, gets thrown out of Nadir's house. It just, and my heart was kind of clutching as the camera just kept, just kept following what was happening. Yeah, I would say the cinematography is really excellent in this film. It's so, I think it's so easy to fall on the trap of like the handheld camera to create tension. Uh, But I think the use of 
handheld camera in this film is just so meticulously thought of. It's so well thought of. You know, it's it is constant. It makes um, the experience, like you said a while ago, visceral. It puts you in the in the moment, um, just closely following these characters. It, yeah, it. I think it makes it a, a really an on the edge experience. And yeah, I, I mean, talk about time. I mean, you know, when I watched it, you know, I just, you know, played it, and then I did not realize I was already forty five to fifty minutes in. I mean, because I was I was curious to know like when did like the fight between Nader and Ratsie kicked in. And it was near halfway mark. So I just realized like how the film really sustains tension with very tight pacing with the editing that it has. And yep, the cinematography that just carefully follows these characters. Like oh, it's, 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 it's almost rigorous. Like it, it really patiently observes. And then, yeah, I think it can all, I mean, as much as the screenplay is really complex, like, Oscar Fadi as a director, he is able to orchestrate a delicious cast of actors that have really yeah. brought this film to life. Yeah. In hindsight, I would say this, the cinematography is probably one of the most underrated things about a separation. Because usually whenever when people think great cinematography, they think black and white or bright demonstrative lighting. But in, but in this, even though there's there isn't such, it's still the the cinematography with its use of long takes. It still becomes a a vital instrument to the aforementioned uh, dramatic tension. Yep, it serves its function very well in the context of the film that is telling. And um, yeah, I mean, I would also like like mention uh, the production design. I think they really had a very. <laughs> I just noticed it in the last rewatch on how. The apartment where a lot of the a lot of the scenes are happening, it's it, the apartment has a lot lots of glasses, so it makes you feel like wherever you are in the house, you're near the other person. When in fact you have a very like long divide, and at the same time there's a lot of glasses there, so like there's a there's a an illusion of proximity that there's also this visible divide. So yeah, those things that really illustrate also where the character is, this, the strength of like mapping out the geography of where the character is and how it really reflects their relationship dynamics. I think like it, everything just comes together in a very delicious way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned performances from Shah Bassani and Sarah Bayat, which are both my choices for supporting actors and supporting actors that year. Um, definitely, they run away with this category, with their respective categories easily. Um, and then you also mentioned about Paywan Mahdi, which is the, uh, which is Nader. Um, what do you think about Leila Hatami's performance as Simin? I really liked her. Uh, she wasn't as, uh, she wasn't in the film as much as I figured she would be. Even though the film is about a crumbling marriage and she's the other half of the marriage. But so I, I debate as to whether she's lead or supporting. Probably supporting. But then again, I I also think because the film is such an ensemble piece, she was I think Sarah 
Sarabaya is also kind of supporting. So, I don't, I don't know. But I, I do think that, uh, but before I was, uh, before I saw Separation, I was team Albert Brooks and Drive. But after seeing a Separation, I think I'm like, oh, if Shah, Shahib Hosseini is, he, she should have, he should have won. He should, should have, nom- I think he deserved to be nominated and pro- probably should have won. Yeah, that supporting actor race was a, kind of a mess. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was just, uh, it was just, uh, I think it was hindered by, by voters clinging on to name recognition because, uh, because if there's one thing about the, the acting branch is that they tend to, is that they tend to cling to name recognition, even when they're doing, the actors are doing the bare minimum. And I think that we saw that uh, here. And I mean, it's obviously no disrespect to the actors who were nominated, but I feel like we saw that in this category. Like Matt, like Jonah Hill in Moneyball. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I think I, I yeah, I, like what you said. No disrespect to the nominees, but I think it just they just dwarf in comparison to the films that were. Uh, the films, the performance, the performances that were not nominated, uh, Shahab Husseini, you, you mentioned Albert Brooks, um, Patton Oswalt, yes, and then there's this one name I keep, I forgot Brad Pitt in The Tree of Life. Like, I mean, he was good in Moneyball, but his performance in The Tree of Life, like, oh my goodness, or Ben Kingsley uh, for Hugo. Yes, I mean that would well, have. The list goes on. Yeah, it was makes sense, and you know we got Jonah Hill from Moneyball, which. Mm-hmm. And then you also have like, um, and these are fine performances, like Nick Nolte in Warrior, um, Kenneth Branagh in My Week with Marilyn. These are really fine performances. Um, Christopher Plummer in Beginners. You know, I would not, I would not begrudge to win. And then. Oh, like, definitely not. Yeah, and then Max von Sydow in. Extremely loud, incredibly close. Um, he's my number two <laughs> that year. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was. He was. He was. He was one of the few redeeming things about extremely loud. Which is my number two that year <laughs> for best picture. Uh, my number one is uh, separation. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> no, but I understand. I understand. Like the, uh, like the 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 thing about extremely loud, incredibly close. I think it it just hit me in the right place at the right time so that's my, out of the best that's picture nominees time. we had that's my like number one what would a separation what? in Mm-mm. and it also even a sorry sorry Baya. i think you know even though the supporting actress line wasn't it wasn't that bad i think there there was a case for her to be made to be included there yeah um i was yeah i'm just thinking about like berenice bajot and the artist um, which I think is kind of lead. Kind of. Kind of yeah. lead. I mean, BAFTA went lead with her. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, Janet McTeer and Albert Nobbs. Um, another fine seen. performance. Um, Octavia Spencer in It Help. She's really uh, good, but uh, I really prefer Jessica Chastain and Melissa McCarthy to be in. And. I mean, talking about Jessica Chastain having a great year in 2011. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, can I ask, uh, who was your supporting actress pick that year? 
Um, my personal one? Yes. Uh, Carrie Mulligan for Shame. Yeah, that's a performance that, yeah, it is a remarkable work as well. It's right, probably between Carrie Mulligan and Sarah Bayat. Yeah. Um, for, <laughs> I mean, poor, I mean, not poor, but I was, I was kind of sad that year because I was, you know, I, I loved three of Jessica Chastain's performances. So in my, t in my personal supporting actress, she has two, which is The Help and the Tree of Life. And then in lead, I, I put her in for Take Shelter. <laughs> but my number one in supporting actress is easily Sara Bayat. Um, and 2011 Best Actress for me is clearly Meryl Streep. Uh, uh, for, me, for me, lead actress was... Uh, uh, I, I go back... I, another one might go back and forth between uh, Kirsten Dunst for Melancholia. And Shirley Theron for young adult. I think those. I th I think I I uh, I am due for a rewatch of those films because I kind of reacted like okay when I rewatched them because at the time I did not have like much experience in life to understand what melancholia <laughs> and young adult is about, and I think I'm at this point in my life. I'm like, yeah, sure, let's talk about like uh, life crisis and any end of the world. Like, sure, I think this is like a perfect time. <laughs> To rewatch those films, um, I think yeah. Just going back to separation, a lot of great performances. That's why it's no it's no surprise for me that you know kind of jumping ahead to its Oscar run. But when it premiered at the Berlin Film Festival, uh, a separation won Best Actor and Best Actress, but they want best actor for all of the male actors in the film and the best actress, all of the actresses in the film. So it is really an ensemble effort. And I kind of wish SAG did something about that. Yeah. I mean, I, even though the, the last best cast winner proved otherwise, they're, they tend to be partial to, to actors who are, to, to, they tend to be, tend to draw on, tend to be drawn to films with with big names in their ensemble whereas uh, that separation is full of unknowns which is that's again it's another reason why the why the actors didn't get proper recognition didn't get proper Oscar recognition usually when it comes to usually when it comes to subtitled nominating subtitled performances it tends to be uh Unless the film is a, a sweeper like Roma, they usually tend to nominate a subtitle performances from international stars like Penelope Cruz, Marion Cotillard, Antonio Banderas. But going back to going back to SAG, I do think this is very. I feel like this is definitely what the SAG what the best cast award was made for. And and also sometimes they tend to nominate, they tend to confuse best film with best cast, which is another. No, I think that I think was a, an unfortunate hindrance to a separation's uh, best cast chances. Yeah, definitely. I, I, when I when I watch this film, I just, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I remember, you know, when I was in film school, and I made and I made my short film my thesis film, mm -hmm. 
I love my actors really, but directing two stars really crippled me emotionally because I cannot like like how do I put you two together and like bounce off the energy in the way that I want for the scene to work the way that I did. Like having that perspective and now I see this film where at one scene at a time you have like three, four performances and you have to like orchestrate them like who who has the energy in the scene like okay um maybe uh i forget the cast um uh, <clears throat> this scene is about like nader and hojat but simin is there and or, or this scene is about ratsia and nader so this film i think really skill skillfully places actors together in scenes Actors that are unbelievably good, even great. So just like I really owe it to the actors and at the same time to Ashgar Farhadi for really um, being able to put this thing together with these actors and bringing to life such uh, a complex narrative. Because I think when you have a story that is as loaded as this, you really have to have actors that are so in touch with their sensibilities and nuances and talents so that they can convey every single aspect of the nuance of the detail of the story because you cannot put everything into words. So, and as much as there is great writing here, it's really, there's a lot of tasks for actors for make it come together and the director to see mm -hmm. it through. And it's just, it, it amazes me when you have these argument scenes or the quiet scenes where the, you have just actors being in the moment, um, munching on really juicy material and just like um, giving really terrific performances. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I think it would be remiss for us to acknowledge the fact that this film was from Iran. So Ashgar Fadi's working around censorship um did you feel um any moments in the film like you feel like he was tiptoeing the line of censorship in the film i, I didn't know i didn't i didn't know i didn't know um i did <laughs> um there was ah. there was this one scene the opening scene of course um i think this it was a really bold question to ask um when the judge was asking Simin, like, why do you want to go abroad? And Simin said, like, I wanna, I want, I want my daughter to go abroad because I don't want to grow. Oh, I don't want her to grow up in this in these circumstances. And the judge asks, what circumstances? And she doesn't reply. I think oh. it's just such a powerful moment of questioning the status quo, without you know, nailing it on its head, like, oh, this is what I'm fighting for. I think um, the issue of censorship kind of pops out once in a while, but it's never a hindrance. Rather, it strengthens the story that it's trying to tell. Like, like we said a while ago, there's a lot of themes in this film. A lot, a lot. So um, let's just go with the title itself, like the separation. Um, the film is titled a separation and it starts with a separation, but it doesn't really, I don't think it's really much about the divorce. 
um, as it is more about the surrounding effects, the domino effect of that divorce. What do you think of that choice of Ashkar Fahadi to, to, to take that direction in the story? Well, I, I definitely think it makes it a less cookie-cutter divorce drama. And I definitely think it, I think the uh, by weaving in the Razia and her husband uh, into the storyline, it it does its job at heightening the uh, heightening the dramatic tension, and also, as I said before, weaving in the themes of class divide. Because during the uh, I feel like because during the courtroom scenes between between Nadir Nadir Razia and Hajjat Hajjat, he's a they're all. They keep they keep saying, "Why are you targeting us? Why are you targeting us?" Because given given how much Razi is being paid to watch uh, Nadir's father and the and even the uh, the apartment that Razi and Hajat live in, there is a clear there is a clear distinction between their between the uh, social stance that both couples are in. And and I guess in a way, Ra- Nadir assuring his ensuring his dominance over Razier is a way of a is is a way is a a serves as a manifestation of of that kind of class hierarchy yeah definitely i think that the the term separation in this film reflects on so many ways it's not just the divorce but like you said the class i think class is such a strong strong part of this film you know, with Nader working at the bank and Simin as a teacher, comparing it to Razie as an underpaid caregiver and Hojat being an unemployed man, which has troubles with creditors. And a lot of the conflict in the film is propelled by money. Like, the 8,000, I forgot the currency in Iran, but the 8,000 that was lost, uh, which, like again, Nader accuses Razi of stealing, but she doesn't have proof, but he doesn't have proof. Um, and then Hojat running away from creditors, which caused his imprisonment. That's why he had mental health issues. Um, really, class socioeconomic status and money plays a lot of role in the conflict that is present in the story and also the blood money um, that we're they were about to be. I think not in the blood money it's uh, it's like an intersection of um, economics and faith because there's a lot of intersecting things here um, and um, did you see the Iranian poster of a separation? I have. I may have, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> to the listeners, I would give like a visual representation. So the top part of the poster is like the family of Nader and Simin and the daughter named uh, Terme. And then below is Nader and uh, Nader, Razi and Hojat and Somaye, the young daughter. And they're looking up to the... To, the family of Nader and Simin. So even in its Iranian release, I think there's really a strong case that it, that this film is making about class and inequality and the injustice that comes after that. Um, yeah, 
And then there's also the theme of miscommunication, lack of understanding here. It's about, um, again, like the argument at the beginning, that's why they're having an argument. It's because uh, Simin thinks it's best for their daughter to leave the country and the grandfather doesn't even know um, that his son is Nader and Nader's like, I know I'm the son. So what do you think of this concept of miscommunication that is and how it was handled in the film? Well, I thought it was handled pretty well. And we definitely see it with, uh, obviously we definitely see it with Nader and Samin because because of their their titular their uh, separation of the their separation their titular uh, separation, yeah, I thought I thought it was handled well. Yeah, and I think it traverses so many aspects of this film, and it's it's clearly a theme. The separation is reflected in so many things in the film, but it's never on the nose. It just exactly. Uh, yeah, which makes it a delicious uh, thing to think about as a writer because I think especially when you have, especially when you're a filmmaker in a country which has st- state censorship, you really have to work around certain things so that you can send your message across without putting off sense or like sounding an alarm. Yeah. And I, I, lo- I always, I, I love movies like that. Movies that, that have a lot on its mind, but aren't shouting what's on the film. Films that don't shout what, what's on their mind through a megaphone. Because those films can, are just eye rolling. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, like, you know, when it gets really preachy, I think the art, the power of filmmaking is really not unstating your message explicitly but how you involve the audience so that you can send a message without them sometimes even knowing it. Um, and of course, you know, as as someone who studied film, I am never for censorship, but this is probably one of the things that censorship causes. It makes writers and directors more skillful in telling their stories. And... You know, maybe Fahadi was trying to tell the story for an Iranian audience. And I think it has reached the audience because it's the highest grossing Iranian film ever. But as we see, we're not Iranians. You're an American and I'm Filipino. But we get a lot of what the the film is talking about. And it's really reflective of how he gets so specific. And even if this is uh, mostly... The Iranian society is a culture that is hinged towards uh, Islam. There's a lot of common truths um, that we find identifying ourselves with. Um, Speaking of um, Islam, like I said, religion is such a strong presence here. Um, And it reflects in the guilt that these characters are having, the legal system... um, I mean, he was charged with murder because at four months old, the baby was already considered a human being. So you kind of also get a glimpse of um, how uh, religion and faith really um, 
affects how people think of things. And then you also get language like, I, I swear on our ancestors, I swear on the Quran. Um, it just really shows a lot that this society is really a lot of importance on values and morality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, yeah, in hindsight, uh, the fact that uh, I feel like that our characters always say, I, I swear to God or I swear on the Quran. It, it definitely shows how, I mean, obviously, I, I, did, I don't know. I don't have much of an understanding of Armenian culture because I'm American, but it definitely was a bit of a seeing how reliant they are on by saying how integrated religion is into their into their legal system just proves how, how was a bit of an eye opener for me. Yeah, this film is really eye opening in so many ways. Um, I, I was just comparing because I think Filipino as a cult, Filipinos, the Filipino culture, I could say, is kind of. I would consider it religious, even conservative. Um, you know, divorce is still not legal here in the Philippines. Abortion is not a thing here. Same-sex marriage is not a thing here. Um, so there's really a lot of Filipino society hinging on religiosity as well. But I would say, in terms of language, the swear to God, swear to the Quran, swear on the ancestors, I don't I am hard pressed to find a like a strong equivalent of that to the Filipino culture, and I think that suggests that just suggests on how um, they're more inter. I think maybe I would say that the Iranian culture, as I see it in this film, and also the salesman, his other Oscar win, Azriel Farhadi's Oscar winning film, how religion is more intertwined with uh, society and government and legal system because definitely um, for them it's like to get, literally together their religious laws are integrated in their laws in the country surprisingly I think the film despite it being written by Fadi it is really sensitive towards what the women in this story are experiencing you know I, I remember Kramer versus Kramer and how that film, in as much as that's a wonderful film with terrific performances as well, uh, have is it ignorant to ask if have you seen Kramer versus Kramer? I have. It's like it's like a less even-handed marriage. It's a it's a pretty much a less even-handed marriage story. Even though the film's called Kramer versus Kramer, it's only about one. It's basically about the plight of one Kramer unsurprisingly the male half of the male Kramer or the husband so would you say that Meryl Streep is supporting Kramer versus Kramer only because of screen time because I I would get I would get the lead argument because she's because she's the movie's called Kramer versus Kramer and she's the other Kramer but I would say she's kind of because she's not in the film that much I would say she's probably supporting yeah I think my not problem, but the thing that I see with Meryl Streep's performance in Kramer versus Kramer, it not is not necessarily the screen time. I think she's got in best actress for lesser screen time. I don't I don't know. There's screen time central for that. Um, maybe um, the Devil Wears Prada. Maybe one true thing, the Iron Weed. Those performances straddle lead and supporting. But I think with Kramer vs. Kramer, 
it's how her screen time was distributed. I mean, aside from the opening scene, we don't see her until 45 minutes in. And even then, it is still largely hinged on Dustin Hoffman's character. So, yeah, I... I yeah. I would, yeah, I, I love that she has a supporting actress win because, you know, it kind of shows, like, she can do lead, she can do supporting, and she's my favorite actress of all time, so yay. Um, yeah, and even in Marriage Story, there's, like, there's an issue of, like, people saying that it kind of... <laughs> yeah, Charlie's the character of Adam Driver, right? Charlie. Yeah. And then Nicole? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to remember the teaser trailers. <laughs> you know, the what a lot, what I love about Charlie trailers, what I love about Nicole. Uh, even that has some people were kind of arguing, um, like it was kind of in favor of Charlie's storyline and Nicole's. Um, in the case of a separation, even if the central separation, um, and the story, the screen time kind of leans towards. Payman Mahdi than Leila Hatami. Um, the focus and the sensitivity of the screenplay and the direction towards these two sides of the separation and gender, it feels so equally balanced, I would say. Uh, would you agree with me or do you have... I, I would. Only because... Even though the film is an ensemble piece, so uh, the film is an ensemble piece, so Payman Mahdi isn't as isn't as front and center as Dustin Hoffman and Adam Driver were in their respective films. So, but I I think be, because because of that, it that that is a beneficiary to the movie being even handed, or benefits the movie being more even even handed than those two. Yeah, definitely that that um, dynamic of having these characters kind of um, there's not like one lead. I mean, I would definitely put Payman Mahdi and Leila Hatami in lead and um, Sarabayat and Shah Busseini in supporting, but I think it's just because their their separation is more central. But other than that, the the importance the screenplay gives to all, especially the four main actors, I am astounded now thinking about it because we, I think, you know, covering the Oscars, we definitely see, you know, some films where like, you know, like it's an ensemble where they kind of like neglected this actor in this part of the film, which kind of lessened the impact or something like that. But in this film... It's not an issue. It's just so... It just really thrills me to think, like, as a writer, on how the film and the screenplay, I would say, gives well-distributed importance and empathy, which makes the experience of watching this film more heart-wrenching because you're not just biased towards one character you in a way like i i understand why simin wants to leave and protect uh, leave iran because she wants to protect his uh, her daughter i understand nader why he wants to stay because he has to take care of the father i understand why 
uh, Razzie, even though she's pregnant, why she took this job because she wants to protect Hojat. I understand why Hojat is even like hot tempered because he's really protective of his wife and his family and they are financially on the edge and he has mental health issues. I just love how all of these characters are so well defined. Definitely. Yeah, so which, you know, um, as someone, as in an ensemble piece, like, that's the dream. Like, you're not, like, yeah. trying to, like, let's go back to Meryl Streep or let's go back to this actor. No. All of the actors and the characters here are vital to the story that they're trying to tell. So, love, love, love. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think the, uh, as I said before, I think the credit to these tremendously layered performances also goes to it goes to not just the actors but the key to any great um, acting ensemble which is great directing yes is that I'm, I'm glad that Askar Farhadi got a screenplay nomination but I also would have loved to see him bulldoze his way into that best director category yes especially with what got in directing that year yeah <laughs> Uh, I, mean, <laughs> I mean uh, the artist is like I think it's deserved in directing the, oh, trio, yeah. Yeah, the trio of life as well um, I guess oh yeah um, I'm, a, I'm a tree of life agnostic oh I see and I can see why Scorsese got in Scorsese um, but in as much as I love Midnight in Paris that did not need a directing nomination. No. And the Descendants. Uh, what? Uh, that film. I, I mean, it hasn't aged well. And I cannot confirm that because I haven't seen it since its original run in two thousand eleven, and I would probably not rewatch that soon. But yeah, when you when you see Oscar Fadi's achievement. And directing this story in a visual language way and the actual execution of the scenes and the orchestration of these wonderful actors in these terrific performances. It's puzzling why he did not get in. Well, of course, of the other factors that are outside the film itself. That yeah. language barrier, that... that barrier <laughs> so, uh, un, the un, unknown the relative unknown factor yeah I was thinking about because this film was really was handled by Sony Pictures Classic in the United States I think they were more focused on the midnight in Paris uh, yeah yeah with that year I mean but yeah I just I hoped for a bigger push uh, yeah. for a separation in the other categories um, but more on that later. Um, I think one last topic that I really want to touch on, which I only noticed in my rewatch this Wednesday, um, <laughs> which I think is so subtle, and yet I appreciate it now more than ever, how the film handled mental health. Um, like Hojat had anxiety and because of the money issue he had depression and 
that definitely, um, you know, we see repercussions. He be- he he's become, um, well, maybe not directly linked together, but he's become hot headed, and you know, Razzi is is on the on the protective mode. He he she's trying to protect uh, Hoja because she's trying to explain like to the judge like these are his meds. He's not okay. Please understand him. I am just in awe that how did I miss that? That mental health um, issue that was touched upon in the film. And maybe because when I first watched a separation, life was easy for me. But having lived life a bit more, and, and then, you know, we're, in, no, no, we're now in 2020, which is like the perfect recipe for mental health. I think just and now focusing more on the film and then seeing that, like, oh my gosh, it's... What do you think of handling, of the film handling that issue? I mean, it's not a big issue, but it is a character-defining... Uh, it's par- a big part of the character of Hojat. Well, it definitely isn't a... It definitely isn't explored as much as some of the film's other themes, but I do think it shows how mental health, people who feel like mental health can often be misunderstood sometimes. Uh, as, as as somebody who has mental health issues, I struggle to very way to put it. Well, I, I mean, with his, with his outbursts, he, can, he, can, he probably comes off as you know, a, a, someone who's an insecure hothead. Yeah, I did, I did, even though it's not explored, even though it's not as a explored as heavily, it still shows how men, mental people people with mental health issues can can often seem misunderstood. Yeah, which is a fascinating thing for me now watching it years after. I I definitely like when my first re, my first watch of a separation, and then until now, I have. I've learned a lot more about mental health and maybe I've had some brushes with mental health issues as well, especially post college when everything just doesn't work in your own plan. Like, Oh my gosh. Exactly. Like I was, when I, when I was in college, I was because I was in my own happy bubble. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I mean, I've had some struggles when I started going, pursuing my bachelor's and even attended school counseling but once I finally graduated and that's when my that's when my depression just kind of escalated yeah I think when when, looking back now I think when I was in college I would I see I saw myself I guess like like a helping hand you know because I think there were I definitely had friends who had um had struggles and I was I was definitely one of those friends like call me up you know let's talk about what you're feeling right now i would stay and i would stay with you until 3 a.m just treat me dinner and let's talk about your issues and i i kind of at the time i felt like i'm kind of detached to that like i'm okay i'm not struggling with that because i was happy i was i chose the course that i wanted to study in my life like i've never wanted to choose anything other than film and i'm studying film like this is a dream um, even if i had like financial issues at the time like yes you know oh i cannot complain anymore and um, and then you also have the factor like 
Um, I was brought up religious and, you know, I was, I, I am religious. So I was, at the time, I really thought like, well, I'm doing okay, thankfully, but I would be like a helping hand to uh, my friends who would need my help. And then after graduation, like, <laughs> I, I had plans after graduation and then uh, I was, I was, I, <laughs> all right, this is going to get so anecdotal, kind of um, tangential from a separation, just very quick. Uh, when I was, when I graduated in university, in college, I said to myself, I'm going to write scripts. I'm going to be in production. Meanwhile, I'm going to be tutor for students online so that I can, I can, that's my day job while I struggle to be the artist that I want to be, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, with a laptop as my workplace. And then after graduation, three days after, my laptop broke down. So like, really? three days after and my plan is already not working and then I was unemployed for 10 months after graduation and then I worked for eight and a half months quote-unquote worked and then for the whole of 2018 in the first quarter of 2019 I did not work so I kind of really felt lost and I was asking some of my friends like is I mean I'm not clinically diagnosed but I'm I, I'm afraid that this is I think this is depression maybe that I'm feeling right now because I'm so negative and like this is not the normal me that I know. So having that experience and then watching a separation um, on a rewatch like that again you mentioned mental health was not really explored but it's a character it's a characteristic of Hojat that was given emphasis for a few scenes i am just astounded by more by the writing and shahab hussein's performance because i think it's so easy to be hot-headed on screen yes and it can be grating yeah but his performance his outbursts are more layered i i i you know <clears throat> at the time i chose him as like my best supporting actor 2011 and i just Rewatched it again and just appreciated more. Like this is not, you know, he was called hot tempered, and maybe he is, but there's a lot of there's a lot of issues underlying there. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of self disappointment. A lot of um, uh, internalized um, anger. Maybe yeah. t- maybe towards himself towards Razia, towards Nader and Zemin, towards life, towards the creditors. I just appreciated it more. Yeah. So yeah, I am so happy that I noticed it now because like what happened? I did not notice it before. Um uh like I said, this cast is just so strong. Um even even Sarina Faradi as Terme she has a really oh. wonderful scenes. And what did you think of her performance? She was she was kind of the I would I would agree she was the film's unsung hero. When we could when we really see how sad how saddened she is to be caught in the middle of the middle of her parents' ugly divorce. Even though her character is even though her character even when her character is in the background, we can still we always get insight into her thought process. And you know, it's, it's, it did not, 
I think this performance really put is a very um, comes from an actor that's very observant from what's going on around her. It is really mm-hmm. thoughtful and conscious, and you know she is she is Oscar Fadi's daughter, but you don't get a sense that this is this is like a nepotist hire. You know, no, not right. at all. I mean, I didn't. I only know that she's a Fadi when I researched it, and um, yeah, yeah. And you also have like Kimya Hosseini, which is actually Sahab Hosseini's daughter, as Somaya. <laughs> ah. So. Did not know that. Yeah. So, and then you also have like um, even the in even this other the supporting supporting performances like Marie Lazare as the teacher that testified, and then you also have like Baba Karimi as the judge. Even those characters that are not within like the core of the families um in the cast these are all strong performances which is just amazing to behold when you watch it um, yeah yeah so i would like to ask you uh what are your favorite scenes or like what are the scenes that's really stuck with you in a separation oh def- definitely the scene where uh nadia and Ra- Najir throws Razi out of his house. That always, that remains imprinted in my mind. Oh, and and also the scene where Razi leaves the apartment to, to go find Nadir's father, who wanders in the streets, and and of and of course the, the ending, the unresolved ending. What did you think of that ending? Uh, even though I have an idea of where it, where it was heading. I liked how it remains it remains open ended. Yeah, definitely, and I think it makes the ending more powerful. Is that it didn't really fully resolve that. I mean, obviously she made a choice, but I think at this point, after everything that has happened in the film, what her actual choice is is not really the most important thing. But maybe the fact that she had to make a choice. I think that's the more pressing thing in the ending, which makes it more, um, I don't want to say tragic if it's the right word, but maybe it is. Um, I definitely agree with you. The first argument between Nader and Ratsie, I mean, I, I mean, before that, we kind of sense that Nader and Ratsie, they're not 100, 100% clicking. Um, but I think that just, that explosion and you see Payman Mahdi um, just being, trying his best, his character of Nader, trying his best to, you know, he, he has a lot of pressure in him. He just saw his father almost die and yet to have to put up with assumptions and accusations. And then you have Sarah Bayat just putting her art, putting her art, putting her heart out. And it, it's just such a heartbreaking scene when I remember when she's trying to prove her innocence and how how her voice breaks. I mean, I mean, uh. and then her eyes just starts to become red and well up with tears and how like, you know, I'm moving with a lot of body language is happening in that scene um, and just how... Razzie really becomes 
desperate in that scene. I mean, she even like throws everything out from her bag. I mean, at this, at that yeah. point, that might not even be like the most logical thing to do, but you understand how desperate she was because of like, you know, she needs the money. She she needs the money for her family and then she's being accused of something and she's a very pious woman. I mean, she even called I don't know who she called, maybe a friend about cleaning the father because that's a sin. And, you know, she's really taking faith seriously. Maybe that's the right word. And then to be accused yeah. of that is such a like a huge um hit on her core because I think when you when looking at their socioeconomic status, I would say it's really their faith and their dignity that they value the most because everything is you know they're they're struggling but that they're intact and to be accused of that is just such hard on her yeah so yeah that scene if this was an american film and those were american actors that would have been that actress would have the, sorry by at that would have been her oscar scene that would be like the scene that everyone would be talking about like that's why she would win. It's it's like that I dream the dream of Anne Hathaway in Les Miserables. Like, yeah. She has that scene. Ex- exactly. Why? Language barriers. I mean, come on. Um, un- un- unknowns. Yes. I mean. It's another, it's another thing. It's not, I mean, as somebody who loves following the Oscars, I just can't get over them tension for their con on their constant tension for name recognition yes i mean definitely i mean in as much as um you know we, we when we predict the oscars we we are kind of you know at, at the earlier stage of stages of oscar season you kind of want you want to put out names <laughs> to like yeah uh, but then as the award season goes on i don't think it's just it I mean, of course the oscars but just the precursors sometimes it gets so name checky and then we yeah. shift our predictions like well we're gonna predict her because she easily would get in compared to this unknown yeah and i don't know your feelings about roma but that just makes for me that just makes me happier to see jalitza parizio and marina de tavira get in because when you were predicting the Oscars for so long, you know, like, of course they would go to the previous nominee. Of course they would go to the actress that has a great start at television and now is crossing over to film. And they would not probably pick discoveries in, in more so in non-English films. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, did, I did really like Roma. And, and, I, and I, I was, like, I was happy when the two actresses got nominated and i do and i do agree with you when it comes to getting discovery to act actors getting discovery nominations it's harder for discovery nominations to go to unknown foreign actors we, we saw that we saw that last last year even though they they loved parasite they clearly it feels like they loved it in spite of its actors oh my gosh yes I mean, Song Kang Ho was right there, and or Joe Yao Jung. Yes, or like or Park, you know, or my 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 personal choice from the ladies, Park So Dom. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> basically, how many women are there in Parasite? Like one, 
yeah, I mean, just the four women of Parasite. I mean, yeah, yeah Choi Yo Jung was definitely the was definitely the critics' favorite. You have like Park So Dam, which is like he has she has the iconic jingle and if uh, Jessica, and Jessica, and then uh, um, the uh, the original uh, housekeeper. I'm... Yep, Lee Jung Un. Lee Jung Un is the 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 wife of Song Kang Ho. Uh, when I first watched Parasite, she was my pick. Um, no, uh, Jeng Ajin is the. Oh, sorry. Jeng Ajin is the the wife of Song Kang Ho. And then Lee Jing Yun is the housekeeper. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's and especially, it's hard for foreign language films, and it's especially harder for Asian. Actors. Yes. Um, like the the actors yeah. from a separation. Yeah, definitely. So, and for me, uh, I also think of the hospital argument between Nader and Hojat. The way you know, like, shit's gonna go down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when yeah. it exploded, the film goes on a lot in a in a wide shot, a camera that's far away, and you're you're not there. It just the film surprises you in the smallest of ways. Like when you know you're gonna have like an intense argument, it goes in a wide shot, and then you don't hear exactly what's going on, but then you kind of understand what's happening. And it's just the tension building in this film is just so delicious, and it's all in the writing and the acting and the directing and the editing and the cinematography, and there's a lot of these scenes just coming together deliciously and beautifully. Uh, do you have any other scenes from the film that you want to highlight? No, I'm just, I'm just agreeing. I'm just agreeing with you. Saying absolutely. I think it's time for us now to talk about a separation's journey to the Oscar gold. So uh, it premiered in Tehran and then at Berlin Film Festival where it won Golden Bear Best Actor for its cast and Best Actress for its cast, as I mentioned earlier in this episode. Um, this was Iran's first win and second nomination. Interesting timeline of release. It was released on March 16 in Iran, but it was only released in the United States at December 30. <laughs> so... It was December a really 30. late breaking thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Before we go on, I would like to ask you something. Would its Oscar presence have what it's what it's Oscar? I would like to ask you, would its presence at the Oscars have changed if it premiered kind of earlier, like maybe October? Yeah, probably. Uh, I I would. I th- I think it, it definitely would have potentially gotten a bit more than it actually did. Yeah. Where do you think 
if 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 you, if you would just choose one, where do you think it would have gotten more buzz? If it because you have that foreign language film and original screenplay, what other category or, or categories do you think were feasible entry points for a separation? Probably, probably director. Me or he probably probably would have uh, benefited from the cinema art house, art house, or foreign or a foreign foreign filmmaker contingent present within the uh, director's branch. That kind of got people like Lenny Abram, Lenny Abramson in the room, Paul Pawlikowski. Uh, but even though he's not a foreign language uh, director, uh, Bennett Miller for Foxcatcher. I would say Miguel Haneke for Amour. Me, right, right, Michelle Haneke for yeah, Michelle Haneke for Amour. Right, I definitely think uh, I definitely think uh, if that came out a little earlier, uh, ask, there might have been a more of an opportunity for Astra or Parati to be in the director conversation. Yes, definitely, especially with how kind of muddled that best director lineup, that race was. I mean, we've already discussed that. But I actually don't think Woody Allen was um, was a sure thing at the time. Maybe he was as the, as the season went on. But I think it was more of a screenplay runner <laughs> and i think with extremely loud incredibly close and war horse kind of disappointing that kind of cleared up for because i think if those films really panned out well i don't think we're we're gonna get uh woody allen from midnight in paris because that's not really a very directorial achievement kind of film oh that's definitely not and I might, I might even say, like, of course, The Descendants was, quote unquote, a front runner at the time. But I don't think, I think there would have been like a case if Warhorse and Extremely Loud panned out better, um, and then you know something like a separation, which is definitely like something that um, the Academy would do. I mean, they're not averse to nominating, especially in expanded ballot. They've already done it twice, directing without picture. So it was in the cards, I would guess. Um, but I think because because the separation came out too late, the uh, aforementioned uh, the uh, aforementioned uh, art house contingent slot went to is it went to end up going to Terrence Malick yeah. for the Tree of Life, or maybe even also the Mijana Zanavicius because for the artist that's kind of art not. Would you call it art housey? I mean, sort of. Yeah, sort of. I I, I don't want I don't want I don't want to sound snootish, but I I I I guess I guess I would call it a art house. I just mean the the, the, the kind of directorial achievements that pop into this category out of almost no of almost nowhere are kind of the uh, I would say are within the uh, I would say are within that uh, contingent. Yeah, definitely. I, I think. What I'm yeah. trying to say. Uh, an earlier release would definitely have benefited a separation. Maybe it would have even made a case for a picture. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe. maybe. And as I as I said ad nauseum, I I'd love to say the at least Shai Shahibo Semi or Sarah Ibaya in the acting categories, but there's that's just a 
the whole language barrier. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. That language barrier, which we're trying to break here. <laughs> um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to touch on this, but there is a longstanding political tension between the United States and Iran. And it's kind of reflected on the Oscar speech by, that Oscar Fadi gave when he won Best Foreign Language Film. I am not... I, I've read some um, blog posts at the time, but I do not know where Iran-US relations was at the time that I don't know how it could have factored in in this race. Because I think it really factored in in the salesman. It oh, definitely factored into the sales. It definitely was a factor into the salesman winning because of the because of the Trump's ridiculous travel ban. Yeah, the Muslim ban <laughs> that we have extensively covered. Yep, in this podcast. I was. It's not to take away from the uh, not not that the salesman didn't didn't deserve it because it's a genuinely great film. But I I do feel like the politics definitely played in played a huge part in the. In the salesman's victory, as as for a separation, I don't I don't know if uh, I would if there I don't know if that, those kinds of uh, politics played into its victory. I was starting to think because <laughs> at the time I wasn't I wasn't really abreast into um, the po- U.S. politics at the time. I think when I think when you're in high school, <laughs> you just care about um, what your friends think of you, <laughs> other than what's happening outside the world and yeah at the time when you know i was following the oscars ever since i really closely followed the oscars um 2009 but as i discovered throughout the years uh, it's more than just and especially post 2016 i try to avoid the name of the person in the white house right now um yeah um it's more than just reviews. It's more than just precursors. It's more than just campaigns. Um, there's a lot of factors coming in when you talk about what, how did a film get nominated? How did a film get the win? Um, can I ask you how? Um, what what Oscar year did did you start following the Oscars? That <laughs> question oh, kind of sounded stupid. All the a year I started following them a bit close closer was uh probably 2010 mm-hmm. because I, I started watching them when i was eight years old wow. and but i didn't and follow the race much closely until uh the beginning of the past decade so the king's speech versus is that right the king's speech versus social yeah network? yeah when the king's speech stole best picture from the social network yes yeah. <gasps> <laughs> 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 I mean, I can't say anything about it since I was Inception in Black Swan. <laughs> so like, when yeah, when 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 people were battling out the King's Speech versus Incep- uh, versus the Social, they were like, eh, "My bets were not winning, so I'm just gonna sit this one out." <laughs> yeah, but I do remember that time when, um, when at first earlier that that Oscar season, it was seemingly going to the Social Network. And then when the guilds came, it just shifted on an entirely different direction. Um, is that right? Social Network won Globe Drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I yeah. predicted it the moment it got it won there, and then 
PGA SAG DJ happened and like, okay, it's the King's Speech. Um, I, I, I like both films. Both are in my top 10. I mean, the King's Speech is fine. It's a fine movie, but it just doesn't measure up to its competition. I was thinking of my initial reactions at the time. Uh, I actually liked the King's Speech more than the social network at the time. I don't know about it now. <laughs> it's, your, it's your opinion. It's yeah. totally fine. Um, I started watching the Oscars in 2007. I did not understand what was happening, but I loved movies at the time. And I was seeing clips of movies and that just, I'm like, what is this show? Why are they giving best, best, best? And I remember clearly, um, because <laughs> that 2007 Oscars, Lavian Rose won best makeup and then the electricity was cut off <laughs> so <laughs> i like remember like okay i'm gonna have to follow this oscar thing and then the following year i was able to watch all of the best picture nominees so that's when i started following the oscars cl closely and then when i started predicting the oscars was 2009 um yeah so we're kind of like in the same time period like the expanded ballot in its younger years. Um, yeah, so going back to the separation, the separation uh, won Globe, Critics' mm -hmm. Choice, National Board of Review, um, National Society of Film Critics for foreign language film, and it was a BAFTA nominee. Interestingly, usually, of course, there you know the Golden Globes and the Oscars have different um, requirements for the submissions mm -hmm. but usually there's like one uh two to three overlap in the nominees this year none of the other golden globe nominees were oscar nominees oh so i think given the situation i think the path was really cleared for a separation to dominate this category yeah do you remember uh, do you remember that oscar season with a separation I do. I, I I don't. I haven't seen the films it was up against, but but I I know that over time the reputation of a separation has been strengthened. So and I, and I guess there was a and I I don't know if I don't remember there being any other big big snub from the shortlist or anything like that, but anything that would have given a separation some competition. I would agree with you. Um, doing my research at a time, it's just. Um, the eliminate by the time that we had five nominees, the competition was obliterated. <laughs> so there was just clearly a separation, and I think that's where a separation got the boost. You know, even if it was, if even if it opened in December thirty, which is really late, it got the screenplay nomination um, that year over films like Young Adult. You know, I think um, Jason that was in the conversation because Jason Reitman. Oh yeah. Um, almost uh, missed a win for Up in the Air. So people were kind of looking forward for his follow-up. Um, I'm thinking of the other films that were in original screenplay at the time. Win-win um, was... Sorry? 50-50. Yeah, 50-50, which I love. Um, young, young adult. Uh... Yeah. There were also some talks for a win-win with Tom McCarthy, eventual winner. Yeah. Um, yeah, but a separation getting in, I think, is just significant. 
Also interesting to note that out of the five nominees, I think I, I think I'm just gonna read the nominees first. So the nominees were yeah. Bullhead from Belgium, Footnote from Israel, In Darkness from Poland, and Uncio Latsar from Canada. Out of the five nominees for foreign language film, three were distributed by Sony Pictures Classics. Um, separation, footnote, and in darkness. But they delayed the release of Footnote and In Darkness, so I think they really set their eyes on a separation, um, mm -hmm. winning that year. Um, out of the out of the four nominees, um, In Darkness was maybe the closest to a, a challenger because it was a Critics' Choice nominee, but other than that, it was not even nominated elsewhere. Um, yeah, um. This is a pretty good list of nominees, I would say. Um, In Darkness was a really st striking World War II film. It's about uh, Jews hiding in the sewers of a Polish uh, town and Nazi occupation. And then how um, uh, a Polish guy, you know, um, survived them at first with money as motivation, but then, you know, it just became about humanity. Um, and then you have Monsieur Lazar. It's a, it's from Canada. It's about an Algerian teacher who replaced a teacher who committed suicide in the school. And then footnote from Israel. It's about, um, uh, a Talmud researcher who is, you know, winning an Israeli award remained elusive and Bullhead starring Matthias Schoonarts, which yeah. is about, um, <laughs> uh, his, his character was, um, he needed to inject, um, testosterone and other hormones because of a childhood incident that literally, um, effectively castrated him. So he had to inject hormones. That's why his body was so big. Uh, that film um, yeah all of these four nominees I think were good and I have really strong not strong I have really uh, I really understand In Darkness and What's Your Lots Are I think those were wonderful films but I think none of those measure to a separation I would say um, but yeah I think all of those four are worth checking especially Bullhead yeah <laughs> I, de I definitely want to check out Bullhead. Yeah, because Matthias Kunart's and everything is like... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I mean, that year he had Bullhead and then the following year he had Rust and Bone. Like, Oh, he was... I love Rust and Bone. Yes, he was fantastic there. I mean, and also like fine and deliciously beefy um yeah yeah it doesn't hurt when you know a, a, a like a, a big fine man is also like this emotionally open and vulnerable um i cream <laughs> um <laughs> and then like shortlisted where omar killed me from morocco pina from germany cedic bale from taiwan and super classica from denmark Again, none of these four really had much buzz, except for Pina, which uh, eventually was nominated for Documentary Feature and was nominated at the BAFTA. Yeah, so that one, if 
if Pina was nominated for documentary feature in foreign language film, he it would have made history, but it did not, and we only made history with Honeyland <laughs> this year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and then just a quick shout out to the other nominees, um, that were not in English that were nominated that year, A Cat in Paris and Chico and Rita, which were both mm-hmm. in animated feature. So I was gonna say my when it comes to foreign cinema, my other the only my other my only experience of foreign cinema the year besides uh, a separation was movies from the UK. Week Weekend, Tyrannosaur with Olivia Coleman. I haven't seen it yet. And Attack the Block. I haven't seen it too. <laughs> oh, well, if you want to see Olivia Coleman in a juicy lead role, definitely in another juicy lead role, definitely check out Tyrannosaur. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I had that film and then I lost it. Uh, I was supposed to watch that that year and I was not able to watch it to you know when I was completing my top top things of 2011 but yeah Olivia Coleman I would definitely check that out. She's she's terrific. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um so like now going to the other films that were submitted um, 65 films were submitted this year. Uh, 63 were accepted. Two were disqualified. Just, 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 I just, I just could not let it pass because the two films that were disqualified had juicy backstory. Um, Slovenia submitted Silent Sonata, but then they had like some sort of misunderstanding within the submitting committee, so they forgot. So they were not able to submit it on time. That's why it wasn't included. And then the more dramatic one is Puerto Rico. Because Puerto Rico submitted America. And Puerto Rico was actually nominated in 1989 for a foreign language film. But then the Academy put a new rule which prohibited um, U.S. territories to compete in foreign language film. That's why the Puerto Rico was not able... Their submission was not accepted. They tried to appeal because um, their appeal was on the grounds like uh, non-independent territories like Greenland and Palestine and Hong Kong were accepted to submit. But then the Academy did not change their mind. So until now, Puerto Rico, uh, that was the last submission that Puerto Rico had. Um, First timer is New Zealand with the orator. This is where the juicy part is because um, the submissions that were not shortlisted actually had some traction for them. Um, the Flowers of War from China starring Trish, <laughs> starring Christian Bale. Uh, he got nominated, the film got nominated for a Globe and then Le Havre from Finland was nominated for Critics' Choice. Where Do We Go Now from Lebanon was directed by Nadine Labaki who was nominated in 2018 for Capernaum, Critics' Choice nominee. I don't know if you've heard about the Touring Horse, but from Hungary, which eventually made it to a lot of Critics' Choice top 10 lists, not just of that year, but of the century so far. So I think that's a case of like critical reevaluation. Um, and then Miss Bala from Mexico, which was later remade um, into a film starring Gina Rodriguez in the lead role. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the two films that I had seen that were submitted were Declaration of War from France. That film did not, 
um, I, and as Francis um, before was a force in this category, it did not stand a chance of getting nominated here, but it's about a baby that had cancer. So you had this couple um, trying to take care of their baby. And the film was directed by Valerie Doncelli. And it stars her and Jeremy Acclaim. And it was based on their story of having a baby with cancer. And they acted like in the dramatization of that story. So that's really remarkable. And just a quick shout out. <laughs> um, the woman in the septic tank from the Philippines. It had no shot. But I'm just... The story is about a group of filmmakers... Who were dead set to wi- who were dead set to make an Oscar-winning film. So they exploited a story of poverty because they really wanted the film to be nominated for an Oscar. And actually, in the poster of that film, there is an Oscar uh, made of turd <laughs> because um, the poster because yeah, the film is about um, the film's title is "The Woman in the Septic Tank." So the lead actress's hair is made of turd. And the Oscar there is also made of turds. So, yeah, uh, it's a pretty muddy year, I would say. Uh, do you have any films that were not submitted that year, but that you think would have been submitted? Not really. And I would jump in. Um, the Skin I Live In, directed by Pedro Almodovar. Oh, I, I, for- oh, I forgot. About- have you seen yeah, it? Yeah, I think, I think that was... I, no, I'm just saying. I forgot. I forgot that came out that year. Yeah. Forever that one. That's great. I'm guessing maybe, maybe that didn't make it to create a. I guess to create a clearer path for a separation to win. Yes, I think that would have been a strong challenger. Or uh, was it? Was that Bane submission? No, it was not. It was not submitted. Oh, Bane. oh, never mind then. So yeah, I think that would have been like a challenger because Almodovar has been in this category before. And yeah. then he has already won an Oscar for himself for Best Original Screenplay and Talk to Her. So he wasn't a nobody at the Oscars. But then they did not submit The Skin I Live In, which was then got nominated for Globe and Critics' Choice and won BAFTA. So I think if they sub- if Spain submitted The Skin I Live In, then maybe a separation would have had some semblance of competition. Yeah. It beat a separation at BAFTA. So there you go. Oh, so, yeah. Um, and then uh, In the Land of Blood and Honey. Uh, it was It's an American production. It was directed by Angelina Jolie, but it's set in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Golden Globe nominee. And then The Kid with a Bike, directed by the Dardom, the Dardom Brothers. Uh, Golden Globe nominee. And this one's uh, an impotiche from France. It was a BAFTA nominee. It stars... Catherine Deneuve, so that doesn't hurt when you have an Oscar-nominated actress um, in the in the film. And then two films from Norway, I would say. Um, Oslo, August 31st. It was shortlisted by Norway. It did not, it was not submitted, but it ended up on so many top 10 critics lists that year and the following year because it was released in the United States in 2012. And so maybe, you know, if it if it was submitted, then maybe Norway would have had more traction there. And then Headhunters, which was the highest grossing Norwegian film. It was nominated at BAFTA. It was not even shortlisted. 
So I don't know what was going on with Norway at the time. There is this one interesting case of a French film this year. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, Tomboy? Well, that would have been great, but I wasn't I wasn't talking about that. <laughs> I'm actually talking about The Artist. Oh, right. Uh. Which was from France. And it was, I think, originally when it screened at Cannes, it was in French. But when it screened in the United States, the intertitles were then sh- um, changed to English. Is that right? H- have you seen it in... Have you seen the artist in the big screen? No. Yeah, me too. Nice. No. It did not screen here in the Philippines in the big screen. <laughs> um, which is sad, but um, yeah. So um, it is it is a foreign production, but since the one that, stream, that streamed... <laughs> that screened for the Academy consideration was the English version, then it does not count as a foreign language production. So yeah, that's our year in world cinema. It's crazy to think that I can summarize world cinema and like um, <laughs> a year in world cinema and like a few words. But I think assessing all of this, the path was really cleared for a separation to win that year at the Oscars. So going there after discussing a separation... I'm just going to ask this for formality's sake, <laughs> but um, we've talked about this already extensively. Do you think a separation was a deserving winner in this category? Without seeing its competition? Absolutely. Only because, again, it's, 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 a repu- it's reputation and its reputation seems to have, uh, as a, yeah, 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 I think, I think it definitely deserved it. Yeah, and I would agree with you. I think, I did not check your letterboxed list because I did not want to spoil <laughs> with um, anything. But was it your number one? Is it, it's your number one, right? Yep. Yeah. And like I said, it's also my number one. It is a devastating film. Really an eye-opening one. Not just because of how it shed a, it shed a light on Iranian society which we don't get a lot, unfortunately, in mainstream cinema. Of course, in mainstream world cinema, I would say. But it's just an eye-opening film on the human condition. And, Uh yeah, and how you see these people interacting and and these characters are so human. And Farhadi's really good at this in, um, in creating scenarios that would really not make anyone a villain all are fully fleshed out characters which had which we can empathize to and it's just an astounding piece of filmmaking and i am so happy this one i hope it i hoped that it got more but yeah. um yeah <laughs> totally love this film if parasite did not win this year this would have been my number one winner of this decade in foreign language film. I probably agree. Yeah. Having not seen next week's episode for uh, having having not seen next week's film, which is In a Better World, that's the only film that I have not seen yet from this category's winners. Um, a Separation really um, stands tall as one of the best films, not just of 2011, I would say, but maybe of 2010s, maybe of the 21st century. Uh, of cinema in general. 
Yeah. So with that, thank you so much for discussing this film with me. It it was um it was hard for me <laughs> to really try yeah. to dissect this film, given it's so full of things to dissect from. I don't think. Uh, I think you know this is the kind of a film that deserves like a video essay on YouTube <laughs> on how yeah. this it's so meaty. So again, thank you so much. And again, can you tell our listeners where can they find you and your work? Yes. So thank you so much for having me. So you can be sure to follow me on Twitter at filmguy six one nine and check out my writing on places like Award Circuit, Cinema Centuries, Flash Film, uh, Awards Watch, and others. And you can be sure to follow the Oscar Revisionist podcast, which will, which which will have its uh, next episode aired on on Wednesday. Yay! Please follow his podcast, the Oscar Revisionist. And yeah, again, I just want to manifest. Like, um, I am just deeply in awe of your work, your, your how prolific you are, and where you the places that you've written. I am so in awe so yeah i really appreciate you coming here and sharing your thoughts and knowledge about about this film your opinions um yeah so thank you for coming uh uh you can follow me at one inch barrier and you can talk to me at carlos ohano this podcast is available everywhere i guess i mean (laughs) yeah i hope you're all staying safe i wish you well everyone so this is a goodbye for now um thank you so much for listening and Together, let us break the one-inch barrier.